This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. What an eventful uh, Friday before the long holiday weekend. Um, we had a number of fires reported in the Thorburn Road area early this afternoon. Uh, firefighters appear to have the upper hand on all of that, and we'll get more details on that uh, through the course of the next little while. Plus, we'll get an update on the highway, on highway enforcement this uh, weekend. But first... Um, a release came out this afternoon. The FFAW issued a news release shortly after 1 p.m. this afternoon announcing that its Snow Crab Bargaining Committee had reluctantly agreed to sign off on a final offer from the Association of Seafood Producers to get the crab fishery started. Nearly an hour later, the provincial government issued a release encouraging all parties to maintain public safety and respect the process. As you know, the stakes have been uh, very high in the fishery. Uh, we're talking about uh, big money for people involved in that, particularly the enterprise owners, who not only make big money, but they also have big expenses. And as this impasse started to drag on, uh, some harvesters were saying, you know what, I can't wait. I can't wait any longer. I have to go out. And the, it raises the question, were um, the parties involved waiting for the markets to improve? Uh, well, they haven't improved. They, in fact, uh, had, up until very recently anyway, had dropped. And the minimum price of 220 which the FFAW initially had been holding out for uh, improvements there, or its membership had, uh, just never budged, never moved at all. So in a release today, the FFAW um, admitted that it reluctantly agreed to sign off on a final offer from the ASP to start a crab fishery this year. Uh, reading straight from the release now, the offer guarantees a minimum price of 220 and includes incremental increases as the earner berry price increase uh, changes or goes up, sh I should say, which ensures that the price will not drop lower regardless of potential market drops. So uh, this um, uh, deal, um, not unlike previous offers that had been made previously and brought to the membership and soundly rejected. Um, and the FFAW says the agreement was made on the stipulation that Premier Andrew Fury publicly commit to revamping the final offer selection process and work towards a formula prior to the 2024 season. So they want to see a commitment there on that matter um, and uh, have indicated that that was one of the stipulations to them signing off. Whether the Premier made that um, commitment or not remains to be seen. There's no mention of it in a release from government a short while later. Uh, and the big question for many people, especially those who are involved in the processing side of the business, fish plant workers, including uh, temporary foreign workers who are brought here, uh, to work in the plants is, well, what happens now? Um, you know, they're eager to get to work. A lot of them have either had their EI run out or are very close to having their EI run out. And the FFAW acknowledged that. Uh, it says our members are facing a significant reduction in earnings this year, and they must receive commitment that financial help will be there to help them make it to the next season. 
the union says it has been in constant communication with all levels involved in this assistance and is working on a comprehensive benefit proposal that will ensure members are supported through what it calls these exceptional circumstances. Uh, Greg Pretty is quoted here. He says, to say it was stressful, difficult process is a complete understatement, and our bargaining committee needs to be commended for the blood, sweat, and tears that went into the negotiation process this year. He says, I hope our members understand that they are working in a system that is designed to work against them with an immense sense of responsibility and pressure, not only for the fleet they represent, but for those whose livelihoods depend on this fishery. Pretty says the committee has the support of its fleet's behind it and their next focus needs to be on improving the process so that uh, the um, uh, harvesters and others are not facing the scenario every spring going forward. He calls it a historic shutdown of the snow crab fishery that has not gone unnoticed by provincial or federal decision makers. A chain reaction, he says, has been started as a result of what he calls the solidarity that has been shown over these several weeks. And he's encouraged by the premier's commitment to review this entire process. So that was the release issued by the FFAW shortly after 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, at uh, just after 2, the provincial government issued its own release, uh, indicating that uh, Premier Andrew Fury met with the leadership of the FFAW and the Association of Seafood Producers, uh, culminating in an agreement between the two sides to begin the 2023 crab fishery. Uh, the re- government release reads, given the difficult global market for snow crab this season and the significance of this fishery to Newfoundland and Labrador, it was important for all parties to come together to reach a solution in order to start the fishery. Uh, it goes on to say, we encourage all parties to maintain public safety and respect the process. Police agencies will continue to monitor the situation closely to protect the safety of all those involved. Because certainly, while there were uh, some harvesters who were eager to get out on the water and start fishing and and uh, paying their bills and getting some income in. There were other fish harvesters who felt that that uh, was uh, something that should have been held off uh, so that they could uh, get what they were, uh, you know, fighting for, in other words. Anyway, it's been a long process. Is it over? We certainly hope so. Uh, We have calls into all sides in this um, dispute in hopes of uh, hearing from them and seeing how things are going, if there are any harvesters now getting their boats ready to go out or who have already uh, started setting their traps, I'd like to hear from you. I'd also like to hear from fish plant workers who must be uh, relieved today, but also uh, there has to be a sense, I would imagine, of some frustration that this has gone on so long. So I invite you to give us a call uh, here on News Talk today. Well, when it comes, when we come back, the RNC have set up a direct email address for anyone who wants to share information they may have related to an ongoing investigation underway into allegations against two St. John's men accused of sexual assault against young boys. This is News Talk on VOCM. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Well, the RNC 
has launched a new email address for uh, direct contact with investigators for those who have information related to an ongoing investigation into alleged sexual assault and sexual interference against young people in the capital city area dating back decades. 62-year-old Tony Humby and 80-year-old Bruce Escott are each charged with a number of offenses stemming from multiple complaints related to incidents involving young people, primarily young boys. RNC Constable James Cadigan joins me now. Well, Constable James Cadigan, the RNC have now launched uh, a direct report email address in connection with that uh, uh, sexual assault case involving two men in the metro area. It seems to me it's a different approach. Uh, What's behind this? Yeah, I mean, mean, so this is uh, an investigation into sexual violence upon youth. uh, And we have information dating back to, at this point, uh, the 90s. So the investigative team here, uh, they're focused on taking a trauma-informed approach to investigating these crimes. And uh, what I want to say is that uh, they're taking a survivor-centered focus here. And uh, we certainly recognize that it's not always easy to, to, uh, you know, approach a police station uh, to to come in and, and share your experience. We want to make it as uh, survivor-centered uh, as, as we possibly can here. And, and just to make it clear that, you know, the, the safety and well-being of survivors is our priority. Uh, so with uh, the initiation of, of now an email that provides direct contact to the investigative team, any individual, whether it's survivors or witnesses of any of these uh, events, uh, you know, you can contact this investigative team directly through this email. Uh, so you don't have to come to the building or, or call in through our communication center. You can communicate directly with this investigative team. And this uh, group uh, of our major case management team, uh, you know, their trauma-informed approach is led with compassion, respect, clear communication. And uh, we want individuals who want to share their experience to know that uh, we're here to listen and provide you with support and uh, information and education that can help uh, you feel comfortable and safe. So what are you expecting here uh, for people to, to just uh, send you a bit of an email and say, hey, uh, I, I, uh, I heard about this, I want to talk to somebody? Yeah, so it's about accessibility. Um, you know, so certainly as part of an investigation, we want to make ourselves accessible as, as possible. And so what we're asking is if anybody has information related to these uh, events of sexual violence in our community, uh, you can contact this email and provide you know any contact information or or information you want us to have and you know we'd like to get in contact with anybody who is uh, comfortable with us doing so and i guess that's because as you indicated this dates back perhaps decades that's correct and uh, another point i'd like to bring up is uh, support for survivors of sexual violence is the journey project which is a community partner of ours, uh, a collaborative initiative between the Public Legal Information Association of Newfoundland and Labrador and the Newfoundland and Labrador Sexual Assault Crisis and Prevention Center. And the goal of this initiative is to enhance supports for survivors in navigating the justice system. So for the benefit of our listeners, uh, what can you tell us about this on investigation thus far, the, the charges laid and the, uh, the accused involved? 
So uh, at, at this stage in the investigation, uh, 62-year-old Tony Humby of St. John's and 80-year-old Bruce Eskett of St. John's have been charged with uh, multiple sexual violence-related offenses uh, dating back at this point to 2007. Uh, both of the accused remain in custody at this time, and uh, this investigation is active. Uh, the investigative team does have information that indicates there is more uh, information out there to be uh, to be heard and and for us to explore. Uh, and that being said, uh, survivors and, and witnesses who come forward, uh, you are in control of your experience, and and we want to work together to ensure that you have information that allows you to stay healthy and safe and uh, resources and supports in place to uh, promote your health. And I suppose part of the sensitivity here is that uh, these alleged offenses may have occurred against people uh, who were underage, young people at the time? So uh, as we've uh, released uh, recently, the charges laid in connection with this investigation, such as sexual exploitation and uh, luring, uh, indicates that the survivors are, uh, at the time of the offenses, youth, uh, and uh, particularly young boys. So, uh, you know, it's it's important to recognize that uh, the investigative team certainly believes there's more information out there for us to, uh, you know, further investigate. And uh, we certainly don't want to limit our scope at this point. So uh, any and all information is valuable. And uh, we, we've often said that, um, you know, we look for every piece of the puzzle and uh, every small detail has value. Uh, because an investigation of this nature, historical in nature, uh, we go back and review past uh, calls for service, reports, statements, uh, you know, over, you know, a long span, a, a very long timeline in this case, uh, into the 90s. So uh, it's important that uh, you rec our, our community recognizes the importance of sharing information to uh, help us uh, protect our community. So anyone who wants to reach out, how can they do so? So uh, as we mentioned, you know, the, the direct contact to the investigative team would be through reach at rnc.gov.nl.ca. And you can also contact the investigative team by phone by calling our communications center at 729-8000 here at Provincial Headquarters. Constable James Cadigan, really appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. And to repeat uh, those contact um, um, ways to contact the RNC is reach at rnc.gov. Dot nl dot ca. That's for anyone who may have information directly re related to this investigation. Uh, or you can go through the uh, usual route, 729-8000, or, of course, Crime Stoppers at... Um, no, what's the number? 1-800-222-TIPS. That's 1-800-222-8477. So once again, the email address, if you want to go straight to one of the investigators directly involved in this investigation, it's reach at rnc.gov.ca. Well, RCMP will be out in full force this long holiday weekend to ensure road safety. If you're listening to me now, keep your speeds down. Be patient on the road. The first long weekend of the summer is when many take to the road to spend some time camping at their cabin or just enjoying the great outdoors. RCMP Corporal Jolene Garland. Uh, I spoke with her earlier today.
Corporal Jolene Garland, uh, well, it's hard to believe the temperatures are not necessarily there, but it's the first long holiday weekend of the summer, and it's usually a pretty busy one on the roads. What are RCMP going to be doing to make sure everybody's safe? Well, we're going to be out as uh, as much as we can in, the, in a big presence to kind of keep, uh, hopefully, drivers on their toes, being cautious, being patient, and following the rules of the road. We know there's an, uh, you know, a, certainly an increased presence of traffic on our highways, including those that are, as you said, heading off to the cabins and whatnot, but also those who are towing utility trailers and or camper trailers, and likely for the first time this season. So we're asking motorists certainly to check on their equipment before heading out on the highway today. Make sure your tires are good make sure your brakes are, are safe and secure uh, and we're asking everybody else to just pay attention to the road please exercise some patience you know getting there a couple of minutes earlier um, is, is not as important as getting there safely and making sure that uh, you know everybody's going to have an enjoyable long holiday weekend patience is the key i would imagine especially if you're following a, a large trailer and they tend to go a little bit slower because there's so much happening there um and you tend to see these big lineups of traffic behind uh you know slower moving traffic um and that inevitably someone says enough of this yeah that's you know unfortunately a lot of times that doesn't end up well uh we understand that people may have uh, you know concerns over being held up in traffic behind a slow moving vehicle you know these these big heavy camper trailers that's the thing they are they are big they are heavy so especially when you're going in an area where there's hills and stuff you know it's a natural thing that they cannot travel um possibly the speed limit going up up those hills so people do need to have patience there are plenty of safe areas uh on the Trans-Canada Highway to make a pass. Plenty of passing lanes uh, that are quite long in length, so you know you can make your pass appropriately in those locations. Losing your patience or your temper and pulling out in an area that's not deemed to be a passing lane is not a good idea. It's, if, if it's not deemed a passing lane, it's mean, it means it's not safe to pass in that particular area. And of course, we're starting to get a few calls now. Uh, are your members seeing many moose on the road these days? Yeah, definitely. You know, moose vehicle collisions are still something we deal with from time to time, especially during the early morning hours or as it starts to get dark in the evening. Of course, driving with your headlights on and at reduced speeds and, you know, expecting the unexpected at all times will help keep you safe. And of course, everybody's out on their machines these days. This is the first long holiday weekend that people will probably be taking their ATVs up to the cabin and that sort of thing and uh, getting out and doing all the things that they enjoy. Any special precautions that people need to keep in mind? Well, definitely. Um, as we mentioned, it, it, as you mentioned, it is the first weekend for this sort of activity for many people. So there may be a heightened level of excitement, and uh, you know we, we we understand that we want people to enjoy, but we want people to do so safely. Alcohol and drugs do not mix with ATV operation like they don't mix with a motor vehicle operation. So you know, staying sober, um, being careful, wearing the gear, so the helmet, the seatbelt. If those things are um, those things are mandatory and are required. So, for example, if you're in a side-by-side and it has a seatbelt, it's required in addition to a helmet. So we want people to be buckled in. We want people to be wearing a helmet. And wearing a helmet means that it needs to be properly fitted and fastened. It's no good to have it on the head. Uh, it's too big for you. It's not strapped in. And all of a sudden, you come off the machine and so does your helmet. It's not going to protect you properly. So please ensure you wear the proper gear. Also, a reminder to parents, these machines are not babysitting tools 
A lot of times we see, you know, people want to motivate or entice their kids to come on up to the cabin. And so there's a promise of, you know, you can take the quad and go on. We really strongly advise against this. These are not babysitters. These are machines that require supervision. This is something that should be enjoyed as a family. Corporal Jolene Garland, a happy long holiday weekend to you. And same to you. And of course, the last thing we want uh, this uh, long holiday weekend, Claudette, is for you and I to be back here on Monday or Tuesday, I should say, um, and reporting on uh, a tragedy. That's not what anybody wants to be. No. And, you know, in the media, just that that feeling of anticipation, like you said, coming in Monday with like kind of a pit in your stomach, wondering uh, what you are going to have to report on it. um, I can't only imagine what the families would feel like. So yes, all about safety, like uh, Corporal Jolene Garland had mentioned, a few seconds to get to the cabin faster. What what is that? I mean, for you can't put a price on someone's life. Exactly. And uh, I do drive with someone who tends to get a little bit what what are they doing up there? What's going on? One yep. of these to- one yep. of those types, and uh, I'm always like, yeah, relax. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Like you just know, what, a couple of it. What difference does it make? We're, you- we're bonding in the car. Just enjoy me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's what it's all about. Can I get out of the car? Can I get, get out of the car Linda? faster? <laughs> Oh, Claudette, sure you just gave me a... <laughs> a complex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to seek some therapy now. Um, where was I? Yes. Oh, May 24th weekend. <laughs> Be um, safe. Is it already busy out there? Yes, um, just in the normal spots. But you know what I was surprised about? I'm glad you brought that up. I was surprised. I was expected to see a bit more traffic headed out on the Trans-Canada Highway, but... I don't happen to see that, um, you know, in the normal spot, which would be just, say, west of the Pitts Memorial uh, Clover. Uh, But I was in touch with a few people who were traveling out on the TCH and said, even though it's a clear day, it's windy. So you can imagine, like you were talking about people kind of lugging those campers and stuff like that. It could be a bit tricky. Oh, yeah. They're like big sails. and You can see them navigating sometimes. And yeah, I don't like I don't don't like being I don't like being next to them. (laughs) (laughs) it's like when i uh, pass a transport truck you know transport trucks often struggle going up over a a a corner you pat or yeah and you're passing and and i'm always like you're (laughs) holding your breath as you're doing the speed limit i'm always like over to the door a little bit more you know shoulders up (laughs) a little bit tense (laughs) even though they've got way more driving experience exactly right (laughs) (laughs) but there you go it's big (laughs) um we're up to news time now with richard duggan we'll get another update on traffic out there uh, coming up right after this weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your vocm we get people talking and we're back. A recent incident in Summerford on New World Island has sparked renewed debate on municipal regulations and the trend towards small-scale agriculture, whether that be uh, a vegetable garden or, in some cases, keeping animals like uh, goats or pigs or sheep or chickens, uh, even ponies. Well, president of municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador uh, and Grand Falls-Windsor Town Councillor Amy Cody joins me now. 
So uh, we're going into the long holiday weekend, and I know everybody is uh, sort of thinking about uh, that. But uh, one of the items that a lot of people are uh, discussing of late is um, agriculture in uh, municipalities. And I know there's some growing pains that have been involved in that over the last number of decades. Uh, And as has been repeatedly pointed out, um, a lot of these types of things are on the books, but uh, they don't usually come to the fore until complaints are made. So um, how are we doing, generally speaking, municipalities when it comes to uh, finding that balance between, um, uh, I guess, uh, residential concerns and and people who want to keep a few animals or livestock or or have a, a small farming um, operation? Well, I think now that this situation has kind of come to light, it's really helping municipalities recognize that our town plans are living documents and we need to treat them as such. And we need to constantly be pulling them out, refreshing them, reviewing them, making changes, um, alterations to those documents where it's necessary. And when it comes to agriculture, um, uh, you know, and and uh, homesteading and things like that. You know, we did that years and years and years ago. That was just normal. But we kind of got away from that with the modernization of our communities, you know, as our communities grew with land use planning and infilling. Um, and people just kind of went away from that. But now with food security issues and just a general interest in homesteading and gardening and, you know, growing your own vegetables in your backyard or raising chickens to harvest your own eggs type thing, um, you know, people have really, there's a new newfound interest in that. And we're starting to get back to that. So I think now is a perfect opportunity for us to start realizing that things are changing again and we need to learn how to change and find the tools and the resources to be able able to help us do those do that and make those changes are those changes simple or or are they a little more complex when you have a a town plan and you know everything is outlined there can you just you know scratch out something and say no we're going to let this happen now how does that process work Well, it's definitely a process, we'll say that. Um, And, you know, we're tied to our, you know, um, provincial legislation as well, the Municipalities Act. So, you know, we're bound by the Act. We can make changes in bylaws in our own communities as long as they fall within the purview of the Municipalities Act. Um, But when we look at land use planning and and how our communities are developed, um, you know, the, the separation between our homes, I mean, some communities, are packed very jam tight there's not much separation between houses um, you know there's not a whole lot of land for gardens backyards front yards and, and so to speak um, so it comes down to how we plan some communities have you know rural areas in their communities um, and and urban areas some communities are completely rural um, you know with a very um, large land bases homes have you know acreages and instead of, you know, feet type thing. So it really depends. And 
as we make changes to those regulations, um, you know, there's a, you know, you have to go through s- several processes. It has to be advertised, the types of changes you're looking at making. There has to be public consultation. There has to be lengths of time, and there are lengths of time set for, you know, how much time people have to respond to the proposed changes. Um, and then, you know, it has to be approved by government. So it is a lengthy process. Um but it's an important process, and it's timely because it gives everybody an opportunity to think about the impact um, and to provide the necessary feedback so that council are making informed decisions when they're moving forward with these changes. Following discussions with a number of people, I think it might come as a surprise to some that two of the more urbanized municipalities in Newfoundland and Labrador have very progressive um, regulations on the books when it comes to agriculture and uh, uh, homesteading and backyard farming and the like. One of them being the, the city of St. John's, the other being Grand Falls, Windsor. And you're a councillor there. What, what are the regulations in Grand Falls, Windsor? Well, we just went through the process of updating our regulations and our town plan. And again, like I said, it was a lengthy process. Um, and we worked with a consultant to help us work through that because we were seeing the rise of backyard gardening. Chickens have become hugely popular in our community. People want to have chickens. They want to have their own eggs. Um, you know, just the fun of, of hatching baby chicks. And we're seeing it in the schools now and everything as well. The, you know, Woodland Primary here just had their own little chicks so it was a big project there um, people are interested in having goats or um, you know d- different animals like that horses ponies and whatnot we've always had um, you know a couple of barns here that had horses but they were in the rural or the rural area of our community not so much you know within the the urban portion of our town um, and, but you know we're seeing that now in the urban portion as well people want to have you know birds or the backyard gardens. We even have a very active beekeeper here as well in Tuck's Bee Farm. So, um, you know, we've been doing quite a lot. Um, but again, it's because of the public input um, and and following the process through and taking the time to work through that and working with the consultant that we were able to do that successfully. So, and that's uh, the president of municipalities, Newfoundland and Labrador and Grand Falls, Windsor Town Councillor, Amy Cody. When we come back, it was a pretty exciting day. It still is in Winterton, Trinity Bay today. We'll tell you why coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. Well, it was a busy day in Winterton, Trinity Bay today as a project that started out as a dream becomes reality. Greg Wells, a Grammy award-winning music producer based in Los Angeles, has deep roots in Winterton and Trinity Bay and on a, nothing more than a gut feeling, bought the old Anglican church in Winterton last year. Since then, he's been dividing his time between a busy schedule in LA and getting his Trinity Hall project off the ground and running. Well, here's some of what he had to say to me just prior to today's grand opening at noon. You're proud of it. Are you satisfied with where this, how this has evolved and how, how far you've come from that dream you had back in L.A., you know, just a couple of years ago? Well, it was, it was, it was actually just 13 months ago that I had that little weird vision, um, uh, maybe 14 months ago at this point, putting my daughter to bed, and I passed out for 
I don't know, 45 minutes or so, and I woke up again. I had this feeling. I'm sure you remember me telling this crazy story. I had this feeling I should pick my phone up, and I had this, there was this mixed bag feeling of, like, what? There's something on my phone right now I could purchase, but it feels special and it feels meaningful in kind of a larger way. But it also feels like real estate, and it feels like I could buy it right now from my phone. I had no idea what that meant, but I started searching, searching, searching for stuff. Wasn't even quite sure what I was looking for. And finally searched church for sale in Canada. It took me to one listing, and it said church for sale in Winterton. I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I had spent loads of time here as a kid. My grandfather was born and raised in Winterton, just down the main road from where this church is. It turned out the church that was for sale was was not for sale. It was an outdated listing, but it led me to the church just in front of that church that I was able to purchase. And here we are. So the dream vision was more vague, but it was powerful that night. And then it became, okay, well, I, you know, what what could I do with this church? And it's one of those things where one thing leads to the next you know it's i think it's important to have a goal i've had lots of goals in my life i i've i've kind of reinvented myself several times coming from i grew up in rural ontario where you know pre-internet basically pre-electricity um where nobody was in the music business nobody made their living from music it was impossible you couldn't and so i grew up around farmers and factory workers with a few school teachers thrown into the mix in a town of 60,000 people. I had no idea that the job I have now existed. So I had some goals of, of at some point becoming a musician, but by the time I got into it, I discovered some other things like the job of what I have now, a record producer. I didn't even know about that until I had traveled to Los Angeles on a scholarship to study piano. And I started getting little jobs as a hired piano player in some of the recording studios in L.A. And then I realized that my boss that I'm working for, the title of that boss is called the record producer, similar to being a movie director. Um, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then after I'd done like maybe 100 of those jobs, I thought maybe one day, maybe if I could ever become a record producer, that might be interesting because you – kind of have your hand more on the, the wheel of the ship, you know, rather than like being a passenger and helping the ship get to where it's going. You can actually decide where the ship is going. My point is that by the time you, you reach that goal, you may be a overqualified for that goal or even more interesting B you may have developed other interests by the time you get there and you might be short, shortchanging yourself by accepting the goal you set for yourself a number of years before, and maybe you should change course and go to a more interesting destination. So that kept happening as we were developing things at Trinity Hall, um, kind of aha moments of, oh, here's a little, tiny little church office in the annex. Uh, we can't really do much with that room. Maybe we could jam a tiny little desk in there with a couple of small speakers on it. And then I can't remember if it was me or Ryan or somebody, or it was a combination of just ping-ponging back and forth. But we eventually came up with the idea of blowing out the closet where they used to hang the choir gowns and in winter, you know, winter jackets. 
because we don't really need it. So that we expanded the room and then we expanded it even more and then built a diagonal wall. And then I thought, let's replace the ceiling tiles with acoustic tile cause, to make it sound better. And then let's redo the floors and let's blow out the kitchen wall. Let's redo the bathrooms from dingy 1975 bathrooms to brand new modern. Thing. It just kept going and going and going. Mind you, my bank account kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. I spent way more money on this than I probably should have. Um, and and thankfully, I have a very, very understanding and super cool wife. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you that because here. I mean, this is such a this this is such a wild ride, so to speak. You would have had to have a lot of support for this. Nina, my wife is is amazing, and she's never been here. We've been we've been. She's not my first wife. We've been together for eleven years. Um, we have two children together between us, and uh, and within our family, there's a total of six kids. Um, she had a child before we were together, and I had um, three kids of my own before Nina and I got together. So it's a massive clan of people, and, and Nina's just wonderful. She's Swedish. Um, she is also a songwriter. She's a creative like me, and she is just she's brilliant and she's a sweetheart and she understands how important this is to me. She knows how close I was to my grandparents. They were probably the most important people to me other than my parents. Well, not probably they were. Um, and my grandmother was from across Trinity Bay. I can see it out my window right now from the rental house I'm in. She was from Thor Affair, which is on Random Island. Now that's Crown Land. Thor Affair doesn't exist anymore, although you can still find it on Google Maps. And my grandfather was from Winneton here. So it, it's very meaningful to me. It's a pay-it-forward thing for me. Um, and I just, I just want to get it done correctly. I just want to do it right. And now is the time to make a mess and do it. And yes, this is, I think most sane people, first of all, would never buy a church in the first place and would definitely not throw as many logs on the fire as I have done to get it to where it is right now. But I think when people show up and see what this is, it just feels, it feels great. It just feels right. And that's what I care about. And, you know, Life is short. I mean, what are we, why am I working so hard on these big records with these big famous people? And I occasionally get overpaid for this stuff. And that's what, this is how I can afford to do this stuff on a good day. I can't always afford to do it. My income goes up and down. But right now I can afford to do it. There will absolutely be a time I cannot afford to do it. So I want to take advantage of the timing of being able to do it now. And, uh, and it will be there forever now. So and I'll end at some point, hopefully sooner than later, Trinity Hall will be um, self-sustaining and won't need my uh, financial wind in the sails. You know, once we start, it's crazy for me to think that we haven't even opened the doors yet officially. We haven't done one event there. We've had a few weddings, but um, we made Courtney Wick's album there last fall. But in terms of concerts or workshops, we haven't done anything so it's just super exciting for me, as, as you can probably tell. Oh, for sure. So uh, once the doors are open and the public gets a view of this, so what's next? I mean, are you sticking around? Are you heading back to L.A.? Are you going back to Ontario? What happens next? Well, I don't live in Ontario. I've been in L.A. for over 30 years. Um, so I got here on the 10th, 
and I've been uh, just running around like a beheaded chicken, you know, just like running around like a caffeinated chicken with no head, um, trying to set up a very technical, very complex studio, which is ambitious. You know, I, I, I tend to take on ideas that are just a little too hard to pull off, but and this is definitely one of them. Um, but I got it done. The hardest part, and I'm not saying this to uh, to you know speak badly of anybody, but the hardest part was to get people to stop talking to me because it was uh, it just required an immense amount of concentration to to hook up this crazy modern technical stuff when. Like in Los Angeles, you know, I've been, I have a team of people around me as, as, as anyone at the stage of my career would have, you know, a movie director's not making a movie by themselves. They've got a cinematographer, they've got an assistant director, a second assistant director, they've got a whole, you know, army of people around them making stuff. Well, a record producer has a smaller version of that. It's not just me in the studio. I've got a recording engineer. I have an assistant engineer. I've got you know, a personal assistant who's making sure I'm still eating and drinking and there's somebody that can run out and get food and just all this stuff to like keep me focused on on the work. Here, I don't have any of that. I mean, I have people who very sweetly will check in on me and say, have you eaten anything? But I have no one to help me figure out why the sampling rate of 48 kilohertz isn't talking to the other piece of gear on a USB-C connection that's at 44.1 kilohertz and uh, you know, is the iLock authorization happening? It's just all this like ridiculous technical mumbo jumbo. So I'm trying to plug that in, and people just want to come in and hang out and talk. And it's so sweet. But it got to the point where I had to just say, I can't talk to you right now. You have to leave this room. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. And people just keep talking. And I think it's probably because most jobs that people have you can continue to be social while you do your job you know but there are some jobs like mine or like i don't know like a, like a lifeguard or an air traffic controller or other jobs where you just can't be checking your instagram account you have to be single focus a billion percent you know eyes on the prize or you or the car goes off the road and um and 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 what i do is like that so you know when i'm when i'm working with like i just spent the last two weeks with keith urban i'm producing a chunk of his new record and i'm not on my cell phone while keith urban's singing on the mic i my phone is down i even turn it upside down so i don't see texts when they come in i don't get notifications i don't want to be distracted by that i can't i'm getting paid to do an important job and help his career. So that was the that was the biggest hurdle that people are too friendly here. But it's funny in retrospect. Well, it is indeed, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And you don't want to be rude, but sometimes you just got to let people know you got to focus. Uh, Greg, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All the best now with Trinity Hall. And keep us up to date on any uh, updates throughout, well, the future. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's all about the future right now, and I, I appreciate your interest in this story, and uh, it's really just the beginning of the beginning. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I hope you get to come see it, and, 
uh, I'd love to show it to you. And thank you for the support. Thank you for the, the coverage. I really appreciate this. Uh, you may see me yet, uh, Greg. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. That's Greg Wells, Grammy award-winning music producer based in Los Angeles, uh, born and raised in Ontario, but his roots are right here in Newfoundland and Labrador in Trinity Bay, as a matter of fact, uh, thoroughfare and Winterton. You ever been to Winterton? I've driven through and I, one of my relatives has a piece of property there and they would visit it and uh, I think it's landlocked, so you have to kind of walk on a path, but apparently I'm really missing out because the cliffs and the ocean. It's just a beautiful place to be. It really is. So yeah. that that Trinity, that whole Trinity shore there, absolutely breathtaking. And anybody who's interested, check out Trinity Hall. It's in Winterton, Trinity Bay. All you have to do is uh, drive up into uh, Carboneer, just past Carboneer, into Victoria, across the Barrens. You get to Heart's Content, you pull a right. Did you just encourage everyone to go knock on his door while he's working? <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> no, they've they've got a grand opening. It's okay. happening today, and, and they are welcoming the public to have a to have a, a peek. But if he's working, leave him alone. Yeah, he just Offer warned him us food, all though, because he doesn't have a personal assistant. <laughs> there you go. Come in with a cup of tea, and maybe maybe you might change his mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, Greg Wells, a great chat there, and uh, we wish him all the best. Um, that's it for us. Now we'll be back on Tuesday. I do hope you have a safe and happy long holiday May 24th weekend. Keep safety front of mind, but have fun anyway. And uh, we'll talk then.